Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. My name's Marshall, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting into Revelation 6 and 7 with you. Let's pray as we come before God's Word. Um, Father, in the book of Revelation, you tell us that there are those who are sealed for judgment and those who are sealed for salvation. Father God, we pray that we might be among those who are sealed uh, for, for salvation, to be among those who are worshipping around the throne forever and ever. Please give us ears to hear your warning. Please give us ears to hear the words of comfort that you offer today. In Jesus' name. Amen. There was a feeling of dread that would descend on me about dinner time Sunday night, counting down the hours before midnight. The Western Mail left Blaney Station about 12.25am. Now, um, if, for those of you who don't know what that is, and that will be nearly all of you, I suspect, the Western Mail was a train uh, that uh, back in the dark ages used to carry mail. Uh, mail is something that you would have never seen. It is something that uh, comes in the post and it takes days to arrive. Uh, anyway, the Western Mail used to come back from Blaney uh, to Sydney. It always seemed cold on Blaney Station and I only had a few hours of sleep to look forward to before we'd have to get off at Granville Station about 5.30am to go back to boarding school after the holidays. Back to the boredom the cheerless routine of school life, the real world after the holidays. Reading Revelation 6 after chapter 5 that we looked at last time is a bit like crashing back to earth, coming back to the real world after the amazing vision of the throne room of God. Only our world, our real world, is worse than just the grumbling of a kid who didn't like boarding school. Here are some of the headlines that I saw about our world during the week. Uh, one headline described the COVID situation in India as having India as having a tsunami of cases, and the health system is on the brink of collapse. Another story was about Uyghur activists and others urging the Australian government to follow the US, Britain, and Canada in declaring what China is doing in Xinjiang province as genocide against the Uyghurs. Then closer to home, a report on our sorry record of Aboriginal deaths in custody, where seven Aboriginal people died in the last two months in custody, including a 34-year-old man in Cessnock, uh, New South Wales. Then we could hone even further closer to, closer to home to our community at Sweck. I know that some of you are struggling with sickness or, parent or family members who are suffering. As a pastor, I've seen those struggling with mental health, uh, that that is on the rise in our church, and it's often a hidden thing uh, that we don't really see. Um, some of you are silently struggling with addiction, loneliness, rejection. Friends, we live in a broken, hurting world. And we experience it personally. And we here in Sydney belong very much to the privileged minority. Think of those who live in Kolkata in India 
or Myanmar or Yemen. In Revelation 6 and 7, the scene changes from the spiritual reality behind the universe where God is at the centre of things on his throne back to the mess and the suffering of this world. And we see that the apparent chaos isn't just random chaos, but it actually comes from the hand of God. Much of the pain that we see in the world is God's hand of judgment against the wicked. But at the same time as all that is going on, there's another reality, and that's God's gentle hand of protection of his people. And we see both these realities in our passage today. Uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at, in, especially in chapter 6. These two chapters, 6 and 7, are about the opening of the seven seals on the scroll that was introduced back in chapter 5, you might remember last week, where the lamb on the throne was the only one deemed worthy to be able to open the scroll. The scroll itself isn't open yet. This is actually only a prelude, the opening of the seven seals. What the seals reveal is the sealing of the fate of the wicked in judgment, but at the same time a sealing of the salvation of the saints. Um, and that's, what we, that's our theme uh, for, for today. But just before we dive into our passage, just a word about when, about timing. When do these events take place? Uh, we said before that the book of Revelation is describing uh, events that are continually taking place in our world from between the first coming of Jesus, um, his death and resurrection, and his second coming, his return. And that includes these chapters in verses chapter 6 and 7. The one exception to that is a passage that we'll look at at the end of chapter 6 today, and that's the sixth seal where there's an earthquake followed by stars falling from the sky. Uh, we're going to see that that is probably describing the very end times before Jesus returned. But for the most part, these judgments that we'll be looking at in Revelation aren't specific events at a particular time, but they are describing things that constantly happen in our world and will keep happening until the end. It's a, describing a pattern of the things that God is doing in the world. And that means that this isn't just a series of mysterious, strange events that will happen sometime in the future. It's God's perspective on what's happening now and throughout history. Chapters 8 and 9 are also part of this section. We won't be looking at that today. They come with the blowing of the seven trumpets that are part of the seventh seal. They describe more judgments on the earth. But the best way to read all these judgments as they sit together in these chapters, I believe, is that they're, um, they're, they're like a different camera angle. It's a different perspective looking at the same period from Jesus' first coming to his return, the whole time between. And that, of course, includes where we are at now uh, as a church. Okay, let's get into chapter 6 and 7. I've got four points that broadly follow the six seals. Number one, the four horses that bring judgments. Number two, the fifth seal is a change of scene to the altar of God where those killed um, 
where we see those killed under the altar because of Jesus. And then the third scene is the sixth seal, and that's a climax to God's judgment, disaster of cosmic proportions that affect the whole of creation. And then finally, we look at chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, an interlude where we are taken back to the throne room of God and the story slows down to focus on the praise of God and the Lamb. So that's where we're going today. So we start off our first point with a scene of four fearsome horses. Uh, four horses and their riders are being summoned. What's important to notice is that the one who releases these judgments is Jesus. As I said, these are not random events, but these are acts of judgment from God. Have a look at verse 1. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice of thunder, Come, it's Jesus who opens the seals. That's saying that he releases what follows. It's all from his hand. Um, then one of the living creatures calls the first horse, but he's really only acting on behalf of Jesus. He is the one with the authority. This is judgment from the hand of God. And so we see four horses. A white horse, white symbolising victory and conquest in, in Revelation. Kings and rulers who crush all opposition. The second horse is red, symbolising blood being shed and its rider brings war to the earth. The third horse is black, symbolising economic power with its rider holding a set of scales to trade with. Uh, but notice that um, one of the creatures cries two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. This is a measly amount for the money that, 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 that you pay for. And what it represents is economic hardship, poverty. Then the fourth horse is the most feared of all. It's a pale horse, a pale green colour like the colour of a corpse. And it represents death and Hades. And the impact of these four horses, well, we told in verse 8, have a look, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Friends, we don't need to look very far to see the work of these horses in the world, do we? Most of the planet's still on its knees with coronavirus. The civil war raging in Yemen the tyrannical government in Myanmar killing its own people. Well, then comes the fifth seal and our, our second scene. We're given a breather to catch our breath with a break from the devastation and we're taken to the altar of God. Have a look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? We've already seen in the book of Revelation that there are two groups of people contrasted throughout the story, those who are faithful to the word of God and those who are rebellious. We saw, in the, we saw it in the letters to the seven churches, didn't we? Those who held the testimony of Jesus and those who were idolatrous. They're only two groups of people. And being faithful, the ones who are faithful to Jesus 
we often see in Revelation comes at a cost. And we see it here. For these souls under the altar paid the price with their lives. We heard it in the kids' talk, didn't we? That, uh, that being faithful to Jesus often attacks, attracts difficulty and persecution. Now, I think this is a, a prayer that we often struggle to relate to, to be honest. Uh, because life is too good for us here in Australia. We rarely feel the sting of injustice or oppression. But for most of the world, that's not the case. When we were in China, we were working closely with young people who attended a big house church. Uh, when I say house church, it was actually a church of at least a couple of thousand people, but it was called a house church, meaning it was uh, an, an underground church. Because it was big and public about its refusal to cave into the government, um, this church got closed down. Uh, the pastors were put under house arrest. Uh, one of the pastors had a young son. Uh, he might have been two or three at the time. Um, like most of the city, they lived in a high-rise apartment. Uh, one day, while they were still under house arrest, the young boy was discovered at the bottom of the building having, fall, having fallen from the balcony. Uh, no one knows the details. The truth never came out. Uh, was it an accident or was, it, was there foul play? But what we do know is that some of the police guarding the family were extremely uncompassionate and taunted the pastor and his wife over their son dying. Can you imagine that? Instead of being given time to grieve, they're taunted by their captors. Now, I, don't, I didn't know this pastor and I can't imagine the pain that he must have gone through. But for him, this prayer must have been very close to his heart. How long, sovereign Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? It goes on. God hears their prayer in verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, the brothers, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. The colour white in Revelation represents two things, victory and righteousness. As we've seen before, these saints share in the victory that Jesus has won by his blood. And his blood has washed away their sin. They now rest under the altar, safe under the hand of God, victorious even though they have been slain, and righteous because of the Lamb. Well, after that, the peace is suddenly shattered as the sixth seal is opened to reveal the whole of creation being shaken from its foundations and things falling apart. Our third scene is the climax of the disasters that come upon the earth. Have a look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was an earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. 
and we're told that it comes from the hand of Jesus. Our third point is that the wrath of the Lamb himself is behind these events. Have a look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now, unlike other events in these chapters, as I said before, I think this is clearly meant to signify the end times right before Jesus' return. That's because in Mark 13, where Jesus himself um, talks of the end times, he uses exactly the same language of earthquakes and stars falling out of the sky to describe the time right before his return. For the first time in Revelation 6, disasters and the suffering that goes with them are shown to be an act of judgment. The people call out from the rocks to hide themselves from the one on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. God is angry with the world. We've got to wait until the end of chapter 9 to find out who he's angry at and why. Let's just jump down quickly to uh, the end of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. We're not looking at those plagues in chapter 9, but they're actually all part of this section, right from uh, chapter 6 to, 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 to uh, chapter 9. Uh, they're part of the judgments that began with the four horsemen, and they're all sent for the same reasons, for idolatry, rebellion, murders, immorality, and those who refuse to worship God. And their sins, including shedding the blood of God's people the souls of those slain under the altar. Notice in chapter 9 that even in, in sending these disasters, God still holds out the opportunity of repentance for these people committing the sins. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but pain and suffering are God's megaphone to get our attention. But they refused to listen. They did not stop worshipping demons, verse 20. Nor did they repent of their murders, verse 21. God is a God of second chances, friends. And third chances and fourth chances. And it keeps going on. But the reality is that many people stubbornly, persistently, no matter how many chances they're given, persistently refuse to listen, persistently refuse to repent. The four horsemen and the cosmic disaster in the end times in chapter 6 aren't just cruel random events. They are the hand of God against the stubborn, persistent rebellion of human beings. 
So this chapter begins, chapter, we're back in chapter 6, this chapter begins with God's judgment. The middle section, the meat of the sandwich, is a scene of the saints under the altar of God. And I think there is a reason to this structure. And that is that God's judgment on the wicked comes about as a result of the prayers of the saints. You see, the saints cry, How long, O Lord, before you judge and avenge the, um, our blood? And then the rest of the chapter, as well as the beginning, as we saw, is about God's judgment. And notice who is singled out uh, for God's judgment in uh, chapter 6, verse 15. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everybody else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. The focus is on those with power, the rich and powerful. Because by and large, they are the ones responsible for the persecution of God's people. For the seven churches, it was the emperor, Domitian, the Roman governors. And today, it's the rulers, the generals, the rich and the powerful. Surely this is God's answer to the prayer of the souls crying out from under the, the, the altar. Friends, prayer is a powerful and precious thing to God. Back in Revelation 5, the prayers of the saints are precious bowls made of gold with sweet-smelling incense. God takes the prayers of his people seriously. I want to ask today, how is your prayer life? I wonder if your prayers are like the souls of those under the altar. Do you cry out for justice in the world? Do you long for the day when God will come and make things right? Well, our fourth scene is a dramatic change of pace. The frightening chaos of chapter 6 is left behind and we return to the throne room of God that we saw in chapters 4 and 5. The tone changes from the dreadful anger of God at human rebellion to the protective hand of the shepherd lamb over his people. Now, we haven't got time to deal with most of the chapter uh, that Hamish read for us in detail, but very quickly we heard that 144,000 from the tribes of Israel are sealed, protected from the coming tribulation. And then in verses 9 and 12, a great multitude from every tribe and every family and every nation, every language group, on earth are standing in white robes, praising God and the, and the Lamb. I take both these descriptions to be of God's people across time, the new Israel. And then in, verse, in, in verses 15 and 17 that we're going to slow down and focus on for the rest of our time, we have a wonderful contrast to the devastation of the wicked that awaits the people of God. Have a look with me. Um, from verse 15 of chapter 7. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. 
The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They need not fear the falling rocks and the earthquakes because the one on the throne will shelter them with his presence, verse 15. No longer will they hunger or thirst. The sun will not harm them. They will be led to springs of living water. These words come straight from Isaiah chapter 49, a prophecy about God's servant who would save and heal his people. And the one who will give them living water is the lamb, verse 17. The lamb who was slain at the centre of the throne. He will be the shepherd of God's people. But wait a minute. That's not the way things usually work, is it? It's usually the shepherd who guides the lambs. But in God's kingdom, things are often turned upside down, aren't they? The lamb is the one who is powerful. It's the lamb who protects and shelters his people. Remember back in chapter 5? The lamb who is the lion of Judah. This is a wonderful word of comfort for God's people. Remember that many of them in the seven, uh, seven churches were struggling under the iron fist of Rome. Instead of the dread of the chaos in the world around them, there is the promise of God's shelter and protection. Now remember, friends, that this follows the uh, scene of the altar where the saints of the God were slain. And God says what? He, says, he doesn't say that uh, the rest of the saints will be protected, but they are awaiting uh, the rest of those who will be killed. So being protected doesn't mean that they will not come to any physical harm, as we heard in the kids' talk. There would be those who would still die for their faith. There will be many more who will still suffer and be persecuted. And I don't think there's a promise that Christians wouldn't be caught up in the tribulations from the horsemen. Christians still suffer in wars. Christians still suffer hunger. But what this passage tells us is that the Lamb will protect us in the way that ultimately really matters. Our eternal future is safe in him. His people are assured that they are among the thousands upon thousands worshipping around the throne. The whole book of Revelation is a word of comfort if you trust in Jesus and walk with him. But it's a word of warning if you do not repent. If you hear God's warning but you say, no, I'm okay, I'm a good person. Perhaps you're here today as someone who comes to church and, and uh, in a sense you've always believed in God but it hasn't really impacted your life. Revelation is a warning that trusting in Jesus isn't just a matter of words. It's about living his word 
It's about keeping his commands. It's about following him as your king and turning away from idols. And we saw last week some of those idols, didn't we? Idols of money, comfort, security from family, security from job, whatever it is. Our passage today in Revelation 6 warns us that if we just cruise through life and maybe pay lip service to God but aren't prepared to bow down before him as king, well, the future isn't rosy, is it? It's not something to look forward to. It's not the mindless optimism that we so often hear um, in, the, in the media around us. In fact, it's fearful. It's the scariest prospect that we can have. Falling into the hands of an angry God and crying out to the rocks and mountains to fall on us to save us from the wrath of the Lamb. But friends, I want to say that I'm hopeful for better things for you. I'm hopeful that you are listening and that you will listen to the voice of the Lamb. I'm hopeful of a future where the events of the world don't have to fill you with dread because you know that the shepherd Lamb is holding on to you, holding you in the palm of his hand. I'm hopeful that your future and my future is one where we will no longer hunger, no longer thirst, but that we will drink living water with the Lamb and the one on the throne where he will wipe away every tear from our lives. Amen.